Hello, my name's Anthony, and this is my podcast, Theologizing Life, where we talk about how what we think about God shapes the lives we live. Hello, welcome to Theologizing Life, where we talk about how what we think about God shapes the lives we live. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Kristen Trofe, who is actually uh, my sister-in-law. Uh, so this will be a lot of fun for at least one of us. Um, but she's going to tell us a little bit about her story. She was uh, a missionary for several years and uh, quite a few other kind of twists and turns. So we'll I won't ruin it. So uh, we'll just start off. Hi, Kristen. Thanks for joining us. Um, tell us a little yeah, bit. Hi. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about uh, your story, uh, maybe your testimony in a nutshell, and uh, we'll, we'll get more into in depth, I'm sure, as we go along. But um, yeah, tell us a little bit about who Kristen Trofe is. Sure. Well, I grew up in Ohio in a wonderful Christian family, which now, of course, you're a part of since you married my sister almost 10 years ago. And um, I then moved to Indiana to go to Indiana Wesleyan University. And I started out with no major because I was one of those people who just didn't know what they wanted to do with their life. Um, but I eventually landed on English education. I just thought it would be a way for me to help and influence young people. And English is pretty versatile. So I figured I could use that in many places around the world. I taught high school English in central Indiana for five years and then spent five years abroad, which we'll talk about later. And now I am here in Goshen, Indiana, where I'm teaching high school English again. I'm 36. I'm single and I love being closer to my niece and nephew, your children. I love other cultures and traveling and hope I can use my passport again sometime soon. Uh, and I just find lots of joy in the little things in life, like bike rides and um, ultimate frisbee, hot tea, puppies, things like that. So yeah, that's a and bit she, you're also a little bit of an old soul. You like old music and old movies and and uh, things I like. I don't know. So about uh, seven or eight, I was trying to remember and. Uh, because I remember you kind of took um, a short-term trip that uh, uh, before your long-term. So it, somewhere seven, eight years ago, you started to feel God nudging your heart to explore missions. Um, and it was my understanding too that uh, that wasn't something you necessarily wanted God to nudge you towards, or uh, it was mm -hmm. it was sort of a maybe a twist or turn in the story. So could you just tell us a little bit like what, what was that like? What did that look like for you uh, to start having God leading you outside of what you had known for so long? Mm -hmm. Yes, I think it was about nine years ago. Um, and it was definitely a process. I had felt for a lot of years, actually, that God was going to ask me to go overseas, um, which I can share more about later. But I think it was in about 2012 that I really started to feel compelled, I think is a good word, that God was stirring my spirit to take action, to take steps. And I had been reading a book called Operation World. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Mm -mm. No. It's a one-year prayer guide to all the nations in the world. So I went through the whole year, and as I was reading and praying through it, it was really challenging me and opening my eyes to just the great need for the gospel in so many unreached places and unreached people groups in the world. And I started to feel really uncomfortable with the fact that America and so many nations have incredible access to the gospel and discipleship and, you know, the classic church on every corner. While meanwhile, there are millions who will likely never even meet an evangelical Christian. The, the saying that ignorance is bliss is true in so many ways because as I learned more about the world's reality, I began to be really unsettled with this new knowledge. Uh, I just felt that it was such an injustice and started asking God, is there a role that you want me to play 
in this great need. So that's kind of what was stirring my heart. And then in 2012, I reached out to a friend who worked for a missions organization that had headquarters in the town where I lived at the time. So we met and talked about missions opportunities. And since I'd been reading about needs in the Muslim world, I asked him what kinds of opportunities they had to serve that people group in general. And he told me that they were partnering with a, a newer ministry, or there was a new partnership with a ministry in Spain that was working with North African immigrants. I was pretty surprised because Europe was not the place I thought I would end up, even though that sounded amazing. I thought I would have to go somewhere scarier or, um, you know, go in a clandestine sort of way. But I felt excited about the possibility of Europe. So that was the start of it all. I decided to go on a summer trip in 2012 to meet the ministry, serve with them, get some experience and start moving so that God could direct me. I always remember uh, the classic saying that God doesn't steer parked cars. So I wanted to start moving so he could direct me. And that was a really powerful experience for me that summer. I got to see how God used my abilities as a teacher that opened up doors for relationships and sharing Jesus. And I got to see how he used past struggles of mine with emotional health to help others. So it was just really affirming. Um, when I came back, there was lots of months of seeking counsel and investigating options and praying. And God just made it clear to me that returning to Spain full time was was the best option. So I resigned from my teaching job and moved to Spain in 2013 and ended up staying until 2018. Um, I've actually never heard the uh, God doesn't steer parked cars. That's, that's good. I oh, might, okay. uh, I might have to use that. Uh, yeah, I'm makes... sure I heard it in a sermon somewhere and yeah. it made sense to me that, you know, we have to do our part and at least mm-hmm. start taking steps and action. And then from there he can direct our path. So, yeah. That's good. So, uh, what uh, what was it like to uh, resign and, from my observation, like quite literally, uh, sell your possessions or give them away and uh, start over in another country? What what was that like for you? Well, it wasn't exactly easy. Um, I had been teaching at that point for five years, and my principal had told me when I first started teaching that it takes about five years to really feel like you're doing a good job and know what you're doing in your career. So I kind of felt like I was leaving, right, as I was just getting good at what I was doing in my particular context. So it was was hard to let that go, Um, and I had a really good job in a strong community community. I just had a really good experience in my first teaching job. So it was not easy, but I really had peace that this was what I was supposed to do. So that, that peace and joy that came from following God, God's stirring in my spirit um, made up for the, the difficulty. But of course, there were challenges and grief as I said goodbye to um, people and places and my job. So uh, I think sometimes people, I I don't know if you're the only one who's, especially when you're younger or heard the missionaries come speak at church, who felt like, oh my goodness, God might call me overseas. And sometimes there's like, uh, at least in in my experience, there's sometimes like dread um, that, that God's going to call us to something uh, that just is so outside of our comfort zone that we'll just be miserable. And I think sometimes there's Mm -hmm. this, this idea, even this ideology that like God's will, uh, if we like it or want to do it or might find enjoyment, it must not be God's will because it's, it's gotta be Mm -hmm. brutal. Um, you know, if, if we're enjoying life too much, it must mean I'm outside of God's will is sometimes kind of the implied, um, and I believe you you yourself didn't necessarily at first want to be a missionary. So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. is is this line of thinking true? 
um, you know, because God, uh, God's will does often call us to deny ourselves. Um, but was it miserable? Was it something you dreaded? And and or um, were there ways that passion and joy and um, even adventure were cultivated that were life giving? So let me well, uh, go mm-hmm. ahead. Actually, if if you okay. sure. Well, that's definitely something I feel like I did grow up believing, and I'm not sure exactly where that comes from, but I was thinking about this. I do think there are stories in the Bible, I was thinking of Moses and Gideon, Jonah, who definitely dragged their feet or had some resistance um, regarding following God's will or instructions to them. So, yes, I think there are times that doing God's will does inconvenience us, it can interrupt us in the plans that we have for ourselves. Um, but when you look at the biblical stories, I think we see how God really showed up once those people surrendered to him and he did move in powerful ways that shaped those people's relationship with God and also impacted people around them. So I wonder if it's the same with us that sometimes when God first calls us to do something, we might not be excited about it. Maybe it's just unexpected or like you said, out of our comfort zone. I wonder if maybe it can be when we're at an immature stage in our faith and maybe we don't, we haven't yet developed that deep level of trust in the Lord that comes from kind of years of, in a way, testing him and seeing his faithfulness. Um, Because I think at least for Moses and Gideon, they were resistant to the Lord's call, I think, earlier in their journey of faith. So those are some thoughts. Um, you're right. I did not want to be a missionary and go abroad. I grew up in a very missions-minded church and regularly heard missionaries speak during missions week every year and heard those convicting messages calling people to come to the altar and dedicate their lives to God as missionaries. Um, but it just, from a young age, always overwhelmed me and sounded really scary and too hard. So I was kind of telling God, you know, please don't ask me to go to Africa, live in a hut somewhere in the middle of nowhere, be away from my family for years at a time. But at the same time, there was just something in me that sensed God wanted to use me overseas. So it was definitely a struggle for me in the process to come to a place of surrendering my future to the Lord. But um, once I took that leap of faith, and took the first step of going to Spain for a summer, God really did do transformation in my heart and developed in me an excitement for what I had once dreaded. So I do think that God changes us as we surrender to him. And then when I decided to move to Spain full-time, it really was with joy, and it wasn't dread. Um, Of course, there were scary things, and there was grief to process in the leaving, but God had been changing me along the way and putting new desires in my heart um, and just revealing to me that surrender to him is really where true joy is found. Um, Then as the years progressed, of course, there were really hard things that I went through, but I also saw the truth of Psalms 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And God allowed me to do so many incredible things, uh, travel, see places I never thought I would, meet incredible people all around the world. I lived in Europe on the Mediterranean. So all of those things were just kind of extra gifts from God um, that I got along the way. Yeah. Um, you you uh, mentioned growing up and the missionaries. I always think of, uh, I had to briefly look up where it was from. But it's the Isaiah 6, you know, Lord says, you know, whom shall we send? Who will mm-hmm. go for us? You know, here I am, Lord, send me. And there's those altar calls, you know, who will go for the Lord? Oh, yeah. Um, there, was, there was a song that was popular when I was growing up as well, based on that um, exact verse. And that was often the, the mission song of the week. Yeah, that was the song played during the altar call, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It was more like, Lord, please don't send me. Yeah. <laughs> Here I am not. Don't send me. Um, uh, It's interesting, too, as you were talking and you mentioned those examples of like Moses, Gideon and Jonah. I was thinking a little bit about their stories and Jonah. Part of his resistance was a hard issue towards Mm -hmm. people. 
you know, a heart issue towards the, the Ninevites. Uh, he didn't want to go because he, you know, at the end he says, God, I knew you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. Like I knew this, you would forgive these people and they were Israel's enemies. So that was part of his hang up. But then I was thinking about Moses and Gideon and it just struck me that like one of the things both of them seemed to have struggled with was like insecurity uh, and, and, um, in, in who they were and, and who God had called them to be. And I think sometimes like I found that that is like, when I have a fear of surrendering to where God might be leading, sometimes it's, it's rooted in, um, just some sort of, uh, insecurity or a sense of inadequacy or just afraid that the calling will be, um, you know, will, will ruin me because I'm not strong enough or whatever. But then, like you said, God does end up showing up as they start driving that parked car. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just encouraging too to hear. um, It's just encouraging to hear that from your story, that that was true, that God changed your desires because if someone's in that place where God's calling you to do something that's scary, um, it, hopefully it's a, an encur- like a encouraging testimony, uh, a confidence and faith builder that like God will, if you allow him, he, he can work in your heart. Mm-hmm. You briefly mentioned uh, that there were some ups and downs um, while you were there. Uh, you worked, you kind of walked through some seasons of life while you, you know, you were there for five years. So there are various things that happen. Um, could you tell us a little bit about, uh, what, what sort of spiritual formation happened in you while you were serving abroad? Yes, it was, um, both full of excitement and adventure and also some pretty difficult challenges. Um, when I arrived, I did not speak much Spanish. I, I thought that I had learned the basics, but once thrown into actual <laughs> immersion, realized I pretty much knew nothing. So I was uh, going to Spanish classes um, just about every day of the week and then also working pretty much full time teaching English and working with kids and other things. So I was also just trying to figure out life. How do I navigate in this big city? I've never lived in a big city before. Um, like with that right. uh, You were in Barcelona. Uh, I don't think we specified you were in Barcelona, Spain, mm-hmm. uh, which is a pretty big metropolitan city. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you're yeah. a single woman who didn't know the language who, uh, I mean, you had connections through that ministry you partnered mm-hmm. with, but apart from that, you were sort of dropped into this. Yes. Including living with a roommate who didn't speak English. So, um, yeah, trying to figure out all of the public transportation, um, living with roommates after having lived by myself, adjusting to just a very different pace of living and daily schedules. And so for the first year, at least, it mostly felt like all I was doing was trying to survive daily life. I didn't really feel like I had that much to offer people. and so it didn't take long for me to ask God, like, why am I here? I'm not accomplishing anything. Like, um, you know, all of my energy is on just daily life, you know, figuring out how to feed myself, um, going places. Everything takes a long time. And I think that was my American productivity mindset coming out. So. I had to learn that adapting to life in another country or culture is a process. It just does not come instantaneously, uh, which in America we're very accustomed to instantaneous things. So part of a big lesson for me was that um, not just in an adjustment for me, but in his work in people's lives, he often moves kind of slowly and we don't always get to see the fruit that we think we should. Um, I remember somebody tried to encourage me by reminding me that uh, fruit trees can take many years, up to seven, I think, or more, depending on the fruit tree, to actually produce fruit. So um, there's sometimes so much going on in the cultivation of the soil of a person's heart or things in the background 
um, obstacles that have to be removed before a person can move closer to Christ. So those things can take time. Um, so I think that that was a big spiritual lesson that, that I took away. Um, I, I feel like I also learned a lot about prayer. I worked on a multicultural team with people from Egypt, from Norway, Venezuela, Argentina, and in other countries throughout the years. And I was really impacted and challenged by hearing them pray, just their utter dependence on God for their needs and for um, working in the lives of the people, seeing their passion and the soul that they just expressed through their prayers. And it was just kind of convicting to me and my American church background that I think we, some of us, perhaps because of our materialistic ways or, you know, we don't experience a lot of need, we feel like we can kind of survive without God. Um, yeah, we just, we don't have that kind of desperation for God to intervene. Um, and I don't think we devote the time to prayer that we could. Um, so that was impactful to me. Um, I also just, I think my eyes were open to God's work around the world and that we have so much to learn from our brothers and sisters in Christ and other parts of the world. Um, because America has this rich history of missions and outreach, I think I grew up thinking that we were sort of the epicenter of missions and ministry, but there's so much we can learn um, from people living in, in different contexts. So um, I think I also had to process what it meant to be in full-time ministry and, and figuring out how to set boundaries actually taking time for rest, um, when to say no, and that it's okay for me to have needs and express that I have needs. Um, sometimes in my desire to serve, I, I took on roles that just didn't really fit my gifts or passions. So I had to learn to, to be more honest um, in those areas and move into the things that really filled me up. So we've sort of uh, danced around this reality that you experienced what we'd call culture shock, but uh, could you unpack a little bit more what that was like and maybe some specifics of that and, and also how it changed you? Do you approach the world with a little different lens um, as a result of the cross-culture experience that you had? Mm -hmm. Yes, I think that uh, change is inevitable if you work cross-culturally or live in another country or culture. Um, I think my experience was a, a little bit unique just because I was living in Spain, but I actually did not have much interaction with Spanish culture because I was spending most of my time working with immigrants. Um, then on top of that, I was working with a team that was multicultural, so um, a very large mix of cultures even within maybe same language groups like um, Spanish-speaking countries, but different countries in South America. So every country has its own culture um, and norms and societal expectations. So that was a very rich experience, having all of those connections to new places and um, cultures, but it, it could sometimes be pretty overwhelming. Um, plus, this isn't necessarily just culturally, but adjusting to life in a big city when I came from, you know, kind of rural Indiana was also different. Just the noise and the constant busyness and being surrounded by crowds all the time. Um, it just, it takes a different level of energy, I think. So that took quite a while to adjust to. And everything just feels like it takes much longer. It just took a long time to get anywhere because you were switching between multiple modes of public transportation plus walking. It took a long time to do errands, to get groceries, to even find sometimes the specific things you wanted. So everything just needed more time. I think probably the most jarring thing was realizing that I was often one of the only believers that the people around me would ever know or meet. Now, I did have great 
Christian community within my team and in the churches that I attended. But um, in terms of living in Spain, only 1% of the country of Spain is evangelical. And then on top of that, I was working with Muslims from different nations, primarily Morocco. So if you think about Morocco, I was just looking up some more recent statistics about Morocco. And there they label the Christian Christian group as 0.09% of their almost 33 million people, but under 5,000 people are identified as evangelical, which is such a small percentage, they just call it 0%. I did the math and it's like 0.001% of the population. So, I mean, without divine intervention, that's basically an impossibility that someone from a country like that would ever interact with um, a follower of Jesus or um, end up hearing his name and, and the story of, of Christ. So I think contrasting that with America, where there are churches just everywhere, sometimes literally across the street from each other, mm. um, that, was, that was a rude awakening um, to that reality. So um, I do think that I see the world differently. I think I'm more open-minded about different ways of doing things in general, whether it's just as simple as what you eat for breakfast or um, timing of daily schedules or what's socially acceptable and what's not. Um, I think I'm a little more sensitive to other people that I meet from other countries because I know what it's like to yeah. um, live outside of your home culture. And I think that, it was good for me to see that America is not actually the center of the world. Um, there is so much more <laughs> beyond our, our boundaries. And living in another culture, I think, opens your eyes to what your own culture is like, things that maybe you just didn't notice before, uh, the positive and the negative. So I realized that I did not like the American kind of production. We always have to be productive and we need to see results and instant results. I didn't like that mentality, but I learned how much I love our amazing customer service here in the U.S. after not getting much of it in Spain. So um, it's just interesting how it highlights your own culture for you as well. Yeah. Uh, so you were in Spain, which mm -hmm. I loved. Um, Emily and I had the opportunity, uh, BK, before kids, um, to, to come visit you. And uh, it was a beautiful city, and there was so much beautiful architecture, and uh, the Mediterranean was beautiful, and, um, but it is very different. And it's just, uh, it was a neat experience that you were able to have. And uh, you lived there is for about five years, correct? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so you came home then... Uh, let's see, uh, 2018? 2018. Mm -hmm. uh, and after coming home, that was a little bit like re-entry was also in a way mm -hmm. culturally shocking. Um, and you sort of, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, after coming home, you sort of walked through a dark night of the soul. It'd be maybe the spiritual uh, term for it. What truths mm -hmm. did you learn from that season and what hope could you share with others who might also be in sort of a disoriented season of life? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that coming back to the States actually was more difficult for me than going to Spain. Um, I had just changed so much and uh, my time of re-entry was very dark. Um, I had so much peace from God that it was the right decision to return to the States for a lot of reasons, and I had been seeking his direction for quite a while. But when I returned, I had no plan and no vision for my life back in the States. I had really spent a lot of energy on trying to leave Spain well, fulfill my responsibilities, um, help the people coming behind me, um, but didn't really have any sense of purpose for when I came back to the States. Of course, I was going through reverse culture shock and, you know, kind of that cynicism. I remember walking into Hobby Lobby and hearing hymns, you know, over the loudspeaker and thinking, where am I? 
and then going to Chick-fil-A and the same thing and seeing all the churches and just, you know, why, why do we have so much when, when the world has so little, but dealing with that. And then, um, I started having issues with insomnia, which pushed me over the edge into kind of the worst depressive episode I'd ever had. And I think that there was some spiritual attack. I was really isolated being, you know, removed and having said goodbye to my closest friends and community for the last five years and being back in my hometown where I hadn't lived since I was 18 was, was strange. So it was just kind of a perfect storm um, for the enemy, I think, to wreak some havoc in my life. But um, I can testify that God did a great work in that time and he pulled me out of that dark pit. It took a lot of different things. It took the support of my parents who took care of me, um, um, other family, counseling, medication, um, getting a job just so that I had to get up and go somewhere and do something, even if it wasn't a forever job. And I really learned that absolutely nobody is beyond hope. I was in such a dark emotional, mental, spiritual place that I really thought I would never be a normal functioning person again and that my best life was over, that there was nothing to look forward to. My mind was just really full of lies, but God did not leave me there. So I think I always want to encourage people that there is always hope and Jesus can redeem all of our darkest moments. Um, in some ways, I, I, I wonder if he sometimes lets us get so low and um, so broken that uh, really he's the only one who can heal us. There's, I can't remember the scripture exactly. I should have looked it up. But um, something about, like, you know, he harms, but he also heals. And I think sometimes he allows us to be broken so that he can be the one to, to truly heal us and restore us. And so that's what he did for me. And I am confident he will do it for others who are going through dark seasons as well. Yeah, that's absolutely encouraging. I remember a little bit of that season and I think you shared some with, you know, mm -hmm. Emily and I, uh, but I think uh, even we didn't see some of the, mm -hmm. um, you know, some of the darkness of it. Mm -hmm. My parents, my parents saw all of it. I was living with them, which was a huge blessing because they didn't have, you know, a job or really any I really wasn't even capable of working for a while. So they, I know they were very concerned about me. I'm so grateful that, that they were there, but yes, it, it was a hard time. Uh, so you shared a little bit about um, just the, I guess the availability of, of Christianity um, in other parts of the world, and it can it kind of sounds a little uh, a little discouraging, a little dismal. Um, but how? But I know I know God is. I know Jesus is working elsewhere in the world. How did you mm -hmm. see Jesus working elsewhere in the world? Well, I got to to see and hear things that were really inspiring. Um, and I feel like it was a gift and a privilege because um, not everybody knows what God's doing in other places um, outside of the circles that we grow up in. Um, I think some of the exciting things were I got to, to see how God's drawing, particularly Muslims, because that was the context I was working in, um, to himself. And it's happening in ways that it's just very different from our kind of Western ideas of, of being saved or coming to Jesus at the altar. Um, I mean, I heard stories of people who would have visions of Jesus uh, telling them that he is the way or a story of a woman who was illiterate. She couldn't read at all, but she was miraculously given the ability to read only the Bible. So she couldn't read the Quran or anything else, but God gave her the ability to read the Bible and um, she came to Christ. Um seeing um, 
you know, Muslim seekers starting to be discipled and reading the Bible, coming to Arabic church, and in that process, deciding that Jesus is God. Um, I got to go to an Arabic-speaking church that was full of Arab Christians from different nations. So Syrian refugees, Moroccan immigrants, uh, visitors from Iraq or um, Lebanon. So, uh, and, and also attending the church Muslims who were exploring Christianity. So it was just really neat to see how, how Christ unites people. I also had the privilege of going to Egypt on several occasions for missions conferences led by Egyptian Christians and a church there and got to hear stories of Egyptian missionaries being sent all over the Arab world. And so it just really expanded, I think, my understanding of God's work in the world and the movements of God in uh, unique and unusual ways. So. That's, uh, that's really neat. I came across... Um... A long time ago, a couple of years ago, I came across an article that was raising questions um, about the validity of these dream, these reports of dreams and visions. And I don't remember who it was by. I don't even remember how I stumbled across it. But the person was basic, their basic premise that I remember, um, mm-hmm. I want to be clear, I don't know who the author was. They weren't. So I'm, and I'm probably not a hundred percent relaying their idea, but this is what stuck with me was the idea that um, they weren't really encountering the Jesus of the Bible because they weren't uh, hearing about the Jesus of the Bible. They were having these dreams and visions and that uh, whatever their dreams and visions were of uh, could have even been demonic or deceptive spirit. And uh, that, you know, the only way to encounter Jesus is through uh, scripture. And it was just so off-putting because I'm like, this is absurd. First of all, um, when you read the scriptures, the scriptures themselves testify that God reveals himself in and through dreams. And the scriptures don't explain it. They just sort of take it for granted. Like, yes, God, you know, from Joseph all the way to um, Peter. Uh, having that vision of the sheet with the unclean animals uh, before he goes to Cornelius's house. It's like, Mm -hmm. uh, it's just annoying that people would criticize that because um, Mm. God would, God can, I don't think we should put God in a box, especially. And that's one of the things that I think is inspiring to me when I hear stories of other parts of the world is, Mm -hmm. uh, is when God does move, it seems like some cultures and some places in the world have fewer boxes that they put God in. And uh, mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's uh, that's really neat and encouraging. And I think in those situations, a lot of times the, the dream or vision of Jesus is what starts that person on their faith journey, maybe. Mm-hmm. And, and, and from then on, you know, I've heard stories of God connecting them to scripture or to a Christian yeah. somewhere or, you know, actually starting to hear scripture when they hear the gospel on like a satellite TV station or a radio. So a lot of times that's kind of just the initial push um, towards the life following Jesus. So, yeah, I, uh, whoever it was that wrote that, it gave me the impression that they were just sort of a rigid doctrine police and Mm -hmm. cranky, cranky Pharisee Christian. (laughs) It was the vibe I got. Um, so I'm just curious because I think sometimes we have ideas about people who are in ministry and maybe even expectations Mm -hmm. for them. Um, sometimes I think we can elevate them and think that they are, you know, super spiritual and that's why God's called them to that. And, and all these just different, un, just various ideologies about like what a missionary is or should be. Mm-hmm. So what realities about missionary life and missionary work might many Christians not know about or understand that you wish they knew and understood? Well, this was kind of part of my own journey of realization. 
Um, part of the reason I didn't want to be a missionary was because I thought that they were just these perfect people. I myself had kind of put them on a pedestal and thought, that's not me, so I can't do that. Uh, so missionaries really are just normal people. Yes, God's called them to serve him and reach people in a different culture or country, but they're not super Christians. Um, and so I had to deal with kind of that false idea myself. Um, of course, you learn and grow, and God is sanctifying all of us no matter where we are. But um, missionaries are just followers of Christ doing it in another location. Um, I think that it's sometimes hard to communicate, at least in my experience, it was hard to communicate to people how God is working in places that are difficult or considered like um, frontier missions where um, there's just kind of closed-mindedness to the gospel because everything moves slowly. So sometimes it was difficult to communicate with supporters that, yes, like positive things are happening. It just is moving slowly. Um, so I think it would be good for people to know that and it depends, you know, where the missionary is at, but it's not just day after day of people coming to Jesus. And, you know, it might be in some contexts, but in some places it is slow and just faithful presence with people. And it takes time. Did you ever feel pressured or like you owed, you know, your supporters, um, like these stories of, you know, like, a hundred people came to Christ in a day after mm -hmm. we did this ministry and, and things right. like that. I think especially the beginning I did. And, and I, it might've just been pressure I put on myself. I don't know that anyone was actually pressuring me, but um, because I had heard so many missionaries come and share these incredible testimonies and, you know, just big numbers of people. And um, so so, yes, it, it felt like a lot of times what, what we were doing felt very small. Um, so that was just part of, of, I think, what I had to learn and release into God's hands. But um, I'm doing my part that he's called me to do. And whether I get to see results or fruit, that's up to him. I think that's, yeah, I've often wrestled even with the reality that, like, because I've thought so much about how uh, so much of other people's response or other people's participation in anything, especially a decision to follow Jesus, but we really cannot take the responsibility upon ourselves for it. Um, mm -hmm. That's an uh, like that's stepping outside of the finitude in which God has actually placed us. Like mm -hmm. our human limitations, um, God actually created them, right? So what I've tried to accept is that we're called to bear witness. And I think we're called to bear witness in word and deed. So sometimes our witness needs to actually testify. We do need to share about, but even then we don't need to defend God. We don't need to convince them or argue them into the kingdom. A witness, you know, if you think about what a witness is, they actually uh, just share about their experience and even from their vantage point. Um, mm -hmm. So bear witness in word, but then also our, our lives, I think, need to um, consistently align with at least seeking to, not perfectly, but at least heading in the direction of following Jesus. So um, bearing witness in word and deed is, is what our part can be. Mm -hmm. And then we have to trust that, you know, he's working uh, behind the scenes as well. And maybe even through visions, right? <laughs> maybe mm -hmm. even through dreams. So uh, we're about to wrap up uh, uh, here in a bit, but what we've kind of talked around this question as well. But if you could um, maybe more specifically highlight what was the hardest thing about following God into the unknown, but then also what was the most rewarding thing? Mm -hmm. Well, for me, <laughs> And this might not sound like a big deal to some people, but for me, it was surrendering to the Lord in the area of 
finances because I knew I was going to have to raise my own funds to go to Spain. And I just did not want to ask people to support me and give financially to me. Um, so this was kind of my last stand, my last battle with God in this process of deciding to go overseas. Um, I just, I enjoyed getting a paycheck and I, I really struggled with the idea of asking people to support me, but God kept impressing on me that I had to trust him in this area and that he would be faithful to provide because he was calling me to do it. So that, that was the last thing I gave up and he really did come through for me in incredible ways. I was able to be funded and ready to go in less than six months, I think. Um, cause I didn't start really fundraising until March of 2013 and I was in Spain by September. So that happened through so many generous people, um, and churches, but he really did provide all I needed and, and often above that for consistently for those next five years. And this is an area many people really struggle in. So I felt very affirmed and, um, just, blown away by how God took care of that for me um, once I released it to him. Um, uh, also, that, it was... Sorry, has that continued to be something, like now that you're back in the States and you're not dependent mm-hmm. on people's funding, has that continued to play a, a role in, in you know, finances in America where we can have saving accounts and 401ks and, and all that stuff? Mm-hmm. It's still an area that I, I don't know, I guess I need to process more about um, because I don't want to become self-sufficient or feel like I don't need to depend on God financially. Um, So especially recently, I've just been asking him about, you know, where do you want me to be generous? And, And it's hard sometimes balancing out, you know, being responsible and saving versus recognizing that this is all from God and how can I bless other people? So I don't have a clear answer on that. Um, it continues to be something I know that I have to surrender to God, um, just the area of finances, because I, I tend to want to control that and know like I, I'm going to have what I need in the future when, if I have a problem. So yes, I'm, yeah. I'm still learning. Yeah, that's good. Well, and I think we should be right. Always learning. So you were going to answer the second part of that question. Though, What was one of the more rewarding things about um, following God into the unknown? I've kind of mentioned this earlier, but it really was just the the peace amidst the sadness of saying goodbye and moving forward because I just saw God guiding my steps. And there's really nothing better than knowing you're obeying God's leading in your life even if it means it's going to be hard. I, I felt that freedom, kind of just like what Jesus says, that when we let go of our life is when we find it. So really experiencing that and letting go of that control when we try to to control those moving pieces in our lives, lives that just creates stress and fear. So the release just really led to freedom. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for sharing um, just a little bit about your story. I hope it, uh, one, I hope a couple different things encouraged people. I hope uh, mm-hmm. yeah. the maybe being introduced to the idea of uh, the cross-cultural piece, that there are other places in the world and sort of like America and, and even American Christianity isn't sort of the epicenter of what God is doing. Um, right. God is, is working uh, and actually you know, the, um, in sort of the academic world, they're looking at how God is actually moving in the global South, um, how, uh, the epicenter actually seems to be in, in the Southern hemisphere of, of some of the places where God is moving. Um, so just that idea that God is, is moving and working it around the world and other cultures. Um, I hope people also hear that you are a follower of Jesus, a human who's following mm-hmm. Jesus. And as you've followed, you've wrestled with things and even had a, a season of, uh, 
sort of just deep struggle, but God was faithful. And, um, and even your faithfulness wasn't defined by perfect performance, but by just continuing uh, to follow him. And then I just hope people will, will hear that if God is tugging on their heart to do something that's uh, outside of a comfort zone, uh, that God is faithful in that too. And that, uh, that he does transform our desires where it wasn't, you weren't faking it or pretending or, mm-hmm. um, you know, having to manufacture a love for other people and people groups and cultures, but like God really did work in your heart and soul in a way where it was genuine. Mm-hmm. If uh, listeners wanted to connect or engage with your story more, is there um, a place uh, they could do that or a way they could do that? I do have a blog. I don't write really frequently, but I do try to get at least one or two posts out there a year. And if they wanted to read more about um, my journey to Spain, in Spain, and then re-entry, there's there's entries there about those topics. So uh, it is ktinspain.wordpress.com. Tinspain.wordpress.com. Awesome. Well, Kristen, thank you for joining uh, me for this episode, and um, thanks for sharing your story. Oh, that was great. Thank you. It was great to talk with you.